Escape Pod 224 November 12, 2009 Today's story The Ghost in the Death Trap by Marjorie James Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. And it occurs to me that we've been doing Escape Pod for a long time. We started in 2005 with one podcast doing science fiction, fantasy, and horror. In that time, we've hit most of the big tropes you'd expect in the genres. We've done space opera, we've done creepy mindbenders, we've done alternate history, we've done Cthulhu-esque IT support, we've done superheroes and therapy, we've done clones of Elvis. In fact, as I go through the checklist here, I think there are only two items on it that we haven't done yet. One is Magical Cats with Wings. And, uh, we did buy a Flash story with them a long time ago. We just haven't run it yet. I'm not necessarily proud of this, but at least there's violence in it. The other thing we've never done is sequels. And thinking back on it, this seems odd. Yeah, we have the Union Do series, but I'd argue they can't be called sequels to each other so much as the same room from different angles. We've never had a genuine, same-characters-different-adventure story on Escape Pod. Until now. Does anyone remember Escape Pod 007? The Trouble with Death Traps? Oh good. This week we present The Ghost in the Death Trap by Marjorie James. Miss James lives in California works as a molecular biologist, and has a lot of shoes on her blog at halfthefun.blogspot.com. She was also our first Parsec Award nominee with her original story here, and we're delighted to bring the same crew of fatality engineers back for more. I'm doing all right, getting good grades. Story time's so bright, I gotta wear shades. The Ghost in the Death Trap by Marjorie James Flies buzzed around the edges of the huge stone block, gathering at the rivulets of blood that ran down to the floor. A bit of what looked like it might be intestine hung off one corner, drawing special attention. It was a testament to the force of the collision that fragments of bone and tissue were scattered all the way down the passage, some even wedged in the carvings in the stone walls. Two men surveyed the scene with dismay. See, and this just keeps happening. It's getting so we can't get anything done around here, said the taller of the two, a gray-haired man with red eyes and a patchy beard. The other man, younger but not precisely young, hauled himself up on top of the block and examined the mechanism. This bar's been sliced right through. He looked back down at his client. You say this was a poltergeist? I'm afraid so. At first he seemed happy enough just to set off the traps, even when we put the safeties on. But lately he's been completely breaking them. That's why we called you. In the distance there was a sound like a giant blade going through something soft and crunchy, and a terrible, brief scream. The tall man groaned. I'm sorry, you'll have to excuse me for a moment, he said, and set off at a quick trot. The remaining man whose name was Znob, hopped down from the block and made a slow circuit around it, examining the damage. Then he pried up a panel in the floor, extracted some shattered metal fragments, and sighed. Snob was a builder. Specifically, he was a builder of death traps. More specifically, he was the best builder of death traps in the network of interconnected jungle kingdoms that constituted the known world. 
More specifically than that, you're better off not knowing. At the moment, he was making a return visit to one of his previous projects, a temple guarding the entrance to the lost city of Unte, which had a very strict immigration policy. Znob found two of his employees waiting for him at the entrance to the temple and brought them to the site, explaining the situation on the way. The boy called Qual, his apprentice, began laying out the tools needed for the repair, while Tabalin, the young woman who served as his accounts manager, flipped furiously through a codex. "'Well, can we get out of this mess?' Snob asked her. "'I don't think so,' she said. "'They bought the extended service contract, and you didn't have anything in here about poltergeist exclusions. Honestly, did you have anyone look this over when you drew it up?' Snob shook his head and regretted having ever invented the idea of a warranty. Okay, so we'll fix them. But first I'll have a crew come through and disable all the traps that are still active. I'm not going to let some damned ghost mess with my work. Oh, he's not, said Qual. What? A poltergeist isn't damned. Not yet. He's just angry. The boy tugged self-consciously on his tunic. A truly cursed spirit wouldn't be using the traps. He'd just rip people's arms off. This one must be upset about something that happened in his life, so he's refusing passage through the Blue Canyon until he resolves it. Yeah, said Snob. How long does that take? The apprentice shrugged. My uncle had one in his garden that had been there for a hundred years. Something about a missing parrot. We tried to explain that the parrot was probably dead, but it didn't do any good. What did you do? Tabalin asked. Nothing. The parrot came back eventually. It wasn't dead after all. They lived for a very long time, you know. Well, that's no help for us, Tabalin observed. She turned to Snob, who had chosen a thin wedge and was fitting it into a chipped place between the blocks. What are we going to do? We can't keep coming back to fix this place for the next hundred years. Maybe we can hire some parrots, he said, giving the wedge an exploratory tap with his hammer. It settled in, and he looked up to find his accounts manager giving him a hard look. Though not quite out of her teens, she had, her boss sometimes remarked, the soul of a vicious grandmother. Znob sighed again, with more irritation. Well, what do you expect me to do? I'm not a poltergeist anger management counselor. We could try and figure out what he's mad about, Qual offered. There was a brief pause in the conversation while the other two people tried to come up with a cutting response, but nothing was forthcoming. Away in the distance, there was a great rattling crash. Snob gave one last, deeply felt sigh. Well, he said, does anyone have a better idea? They found the client at the site of the latest disaster, where three giant blades had dropped out of the ceiling and rolled down the stone hall, denting their edges and sectioning a man, possibly a guard, though it was hard to tell at this point, along the way. You see? The man, who had introduced himself as Afnat, the temple manager, gestured at the scene, as if they might have missed noticing it. This is getting to be a real problem. Znob examined the bent edge of a blade that was pinning a knee and part of a thigh to the wall. Damn, and this was good material, too. We may have to reforge these. Finally, it's about damn time. Roe, Znob's construction foreman, was making his way up the passage, lengths of palm rope wound around his enormous shoulders. Sorry I'm late, boss he said. It took me forever to find this place. That's why they call it the Lost City, Afnot said with a wan, automatic smile. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be if you had some decent signage. He set down his tool bag and took in the scene. Looks like we've got a mess here, boss. I noticed, Znob said. 
They've got a poltergeist. He turned to the temple manager. Any idea why this ghost is messing with the traps, or who he was when he was alive? Afnot gave him a blank look. Who he was? No, I can't imagine. I suppose we could ask the shaman. Can he speak to ghosts? Dabalin asked. No, but he's always a good source for gossip. I can take you to him, if you like. We would, Snob replied. Ro, get a team in here and start taking down all the traps that are still functioning. You go with them, he said to Dabalin. Get me a record of everything that's damaged, and how, and what parts we need to order. Qual. The boy snapped to attention, and Snob swallowed his irritation. If anyone had asked him for an opinion about his apprentice, he would have said something like, Smart kid, but too damn nervous. You come with me. You don't want me to help with the repairs? Nah, so far you're our resident ghost expert. Let's go see what we can do about this one. They followed the temple manager along the passage, or rather, Znob followed him, and Qual followed Znob, stopping at each trap they reached for Znob to check it before they passed. Most were unchanged, except for one wall of poison darts that had had its trigger broken, so that it would have gone off even if a person knew the correct pattern to walk across the flagstones. Znob disengaged it and had Qual take out all the darts, just to be safe. The temple occupied a narrow mountain pass, the only way into the tiny valley. As they descended the last set of steps to the exit, after first checking that nothing had happened to the statue that triggered the summoning of a dozen indestructible stone warriors, Snob took a ring made of woven palm fronds from his bag and pulled it over his head so it rested just above his eyes. Qual was about to ask him what it was for when they came around the last corner and stepped outside. Ah! Qual cried, staggering back and slapping his hands over his eyes. Oh, sorry, said Afnot. I thought you knew. What is it? Qual tried peeking out through his fingers, then snapped them shut again. Why is it so bright? Well, it's the city. The whole place is made of gold, you know, and it does get kind of shiny around midday. It also... Yow! Qual leapt up from the block he had tried to sit down on. It also can get hot. Would you like some mud for that? The apprentice insisted, through gritted teeth, that he was fine, and they continued, gingerly, into the city. They found the witch doctor sitting on the floor of his storefront hovel. He had a pipe in his hand and an intent look on his face. Afnod paused at the doorway, clearly reluctant to go in. "'I should probably get going,' he said. "'All these deaths have been playing havoc with my schedule. "'Anyway,' he looked from Snob to the shaman and back again. "'Good luck,' he said, then disappeared into the glare of the city. "'Good morning, Grandfather.' Snob didn't generally use the formal modes of address for elders, but Afnod had left without making any introductions. And the man was definitely an elder.' his brown face deeply creased by decades of life in the shining city, and his few wisps of hair faintly yellow. He hadn't taken any notice of them when they arrived, and even as Nobbs spoke, his eyes remained sharply focused on a spot just to the left of the door. Znob came in to stand directly in front of the man, and Qual edged around the doorway to rest his backside against the cool stone of the wall, the city being not so much made of gold as plated with it. The shaman stared past them, then suddenly snapped his head down, rolled his shoulders a few times, and looked up at Snob. Well, he said, why are you still here? Snob was undisturbed. We came to ask you a question, Grandfather. The man eyed them with suspicion. You aren't giant beetles disguised in human form? And you haven't been here since Tuesday? 
The snob answered in the negative on both counts, and the man seemed to accept it. Then he leapt up, and, in a single move of surprising agility, doused Snob and Qual with a ladle full of foul-smelling liquid. When neither of them burst into flames, and or melted into a steaming puddle, he sat back down with a grunt of satisfaction. "'Very well,' he said, as his guests spat and wiped their eyes. "'What do you want? And don't call me grandfather. I'm nobody's grandfather. I don't care what that woman says.' Snob sat down on the floor in front and set his hands on his knees. He introduced himself and Qual and explained their problem. Not Grandfather listened, nodded, then lapsed into silent thought. It lasted long enough that Snob began to get concerned, but this time the shaman seemed to stay in touch with conventional reality, and a moment later he grunted and tapped his pipe on the floor. Right, he said. Well, I can think of a few things. One is that it's some poor fool who tried to get through the temple without knowing the tricks, but I don't think that's it. For one thing, we haven't had one of those in months. Here he stopped speaking, though his lips kept moving. And, Snob said, is there another thing? And for another thing, the shaman went on, as if there had been no interruption. Why would someone like that be mad at us? He should be mad at himself for being an idiot. It's not like we don't have signs. He shook his head. So if not that, then who? It must be someone who died recently, who had reason to be unhappy about it. Not old Arpt. He had nothing to complain about. Died in his bed with his fifteen daughters and all four of his wives all gathered around. He told me he was just looking forward to going somewhere quiet. The shaman found this hilarious and laughed himself into a coughing fit until Qual stepped in and hit him on the back. He nodded his appreciation and returned to his list. On the other hand, Jusha, he wouldn't be so pleased. He was spending time with Sue's wife. I mean, they were having sex, and Sue found out. And he told Jusha's wife, and she killed him with a cooking stick. Big heavy one, bashed his whole head in. So he might be upset. Oh, there's not. He was walking up on the temple when a big block fell on him. Knocked him flat. He held up his hands about an inch apart. Really flat. Or it's Leilalem. They found him out behind the storehouse with a spear through his throat. Some people thought that was suspicious. I can see how they might, Znob said. Anyone else? The shaman shook his head. None that I can think of. No, I'd say those three are your best bet. But I'll keep working on it. Maybe I'll come up with something. He looked meaningfully at the mat in front of him, and Znob understood. He laid a handful of coins on the indicated spot. For your expenses, he said as he turned to go, in case there's anything you need to help you remember. Znob and Qual left the shaman to his pipe and headed back to the temple. A bank of clouds had rolled in, making it possible to look directly at the city. It wasn't a big place, just a few large buildings surrounded by a scattering of huts and lean-tos, but every surface was covered with a bright layer of gold. Close up, Znob could see nicks and scrapes in the walls, especially at the corners, and the roads were covered with a network of patches. He was about to comment on how much work they must put into maintenance when something behind them hissed. They turned and looked, but there was nothing there. Then it happened again. To their left, still nothing. Then a drop hit Znob on the head, and he understood. It was raining. It was an ordinary mid-afternoon downpour, but with a surprising effect. 
All over the city, on every golden surface, the drops struck and immediately burst into steam, rising up in a great heaving fog, until breathing became difficult, and a man couldn't see his hand in front of his face, unless he held it very close. "'Sir?' Qual said. "'Yeah?' "'Would you call this a design problem or a construction problem?' The storm lasted for only a few minutes, but in the breezeless air of the valley, the steam remained. Znob and Qual walked half-blinded through the mist, tripping over curbs and feeling their way along walls. By the time they made it back to the temple, their fingers and toes were wrinkled, and their tunics had shrunk two sizes. "'So that's what we've got,' Znob looked around at his employees, who were listening with varying degrees of comprehension. Three people who died recently, all with potential reasons to want to hang around and cause trouble.' Now we just have to find out who our ghost is and what he's mad about so we can take care of him. But how will we do that? said Qual. We'll ask him. They set up in the temple's main chamber, where, normally, anyone who made it through the primary defenses was met by a test of their worthiness to enter the city, a test which could be circumvented by a sufficient show of wealth as represented by payments to the guards. It was deserted now, the giant hammers propped up against a corner, and the altar piled with building supplies. Tabalan built a fire in one of the braziers, while Roe made sure all the spears had been taken out of the floor, and Snob and Qual set up two sluices to channel water out of a fountain in the wall. Snob had borrowed them from the city's gold-panning operations, which were extensive. Tabalan got a whiff of the smoke coming off the brazier and wrinkled her nose. Ah, what is that? Qual looked up from arranging one of the sluices. Surfian bark! Ghosts are supposed to find the smoke irresistible! It smells like you're burning a tape here. Does it work? Oh yeah! My grandmother would burn a bunch whenever she had a party. One time it took eleven priests to get everyone exercised. Qual shifted his sluice inwards towards the other, and Znob snapped around. Keep that straight, he said. I want them parallel. Uh, sorry, sir, Qual said as he fixed it. Why? Because, okay, just whatever you do, don't cross the streams. Roe finished what he was doing and came to join them. Looks like we're good, he said. When does a shindig get going? Should be any minute now, Qual said, looking around. Um, how sure are we there's just the one ghost here? We aren't. Snob stood up and brushed the dust off his knees. That's one of the things we're going to find out. The arrival of the ghost was accompanied by the usual drop in temperature, which made a pleasant change from the jungle heat. There was a puff of air as it tried to set off the spears, and the frustrated toppling of a small statue when that failed. Znob stood between the streams and watched, his thumbs hooked over his tool belt. "'I'm not here to fight you,' he said, and hoped the ghost had some way of understanding. "'We want to make a deal. I built these traps you've been breaking, and I want you to stop. In return... We'll take care of whatever business you have here, so you can move on. How's that sound? Nothing happened, and Snob wondered if the ghost had simply left when it found out it couldn't kill them. Then there was a grinding sound, and huge metal doors dropped down across the exits, landing with a crash that cracked the masonry. Snob was furious. Doors? I didn't put in doors! Who the hell put in doors?! Qual examined them, running his fingers along the edges and tapping the wall around the doorway. "'I think we can take these down,' he said. "'The mechanism is on the other side, but these blocks aren't thick. It shouldn't take long to get through.' 
Above them, the ceiling creaked and grated, and a crack opened up in the stone. A minute later, sand began hissing through. Roe held up a hand and let it run through his fingers. A sand trap, he said. I don't remember putting a sand trap in this part of the building. We didn't, Snob replied. We put it on the third floor in the northwest corner. Our friend must have rerouted it. Roe nodded in appreciation. Impressive. Wonder how he managed that. Maybe run it through the drainage channels? He'd have had to close off the collection vents. Otherwise, I don't think you'd get this kind of flow, said Qual. Yeah, well, all I care about is how much trouble this is going to be to reset. I would never put it in if they hadn't insisted, Snob said. Damn sand gets everywhere. Tabalin sighed. You know, this is all just fascinating. But do you think we could save the analysis for after we keep ourselves from being crushed to death? We aren't going to be crushed, Qual said. Not if we stay on top of the sand. It's much more likely to fill up the room and smother us. But I don't think that's going to happen. This room wasn't built for sand. So? So it's bound to leak, Rose said. Building a good sand chamber is a hell of a thing. Not as bad as water, but still. And sure enough, as the sand spread across the floor, it found tiny cracks and hissed away down through them. Damn, said Snob. The mechanism for the whole spike room is under there. He looked up at the crack in the ceiling. You guys better get that thing closed up. I'm going to take care of this. So, while Qual, standing on Rose's shoulders, who was in turn standing on the piled-up chunks of the broken statue, with Tabalin supervising, tried to fit a hastily chiseled wedge into the crack, Znob sat down between the streams, facing the fire, and laid out a stick, a knife, and a wooden box on the ground in front of him. Then he tossed another handful of bark on the fire and waited. In a moment the ghost was back, twisting around Znob's body and squeezing him like an anaconda. It was stronger than Snob expected, strong enough to make his ribs creak and his vision blur. He braced himself and, being careful not to exhale, swung the stick against his shoulder where he thought the ghost's head would be. He guessed well, because the grip on his chest loosened and the stick became heavier. It was made of the twisted branch of a DVDV tree, whose wood is notably adhesive to most kinds of spirits. Stuck though he was, the poltergeist tried to get away. It swooped around almost yanked the stick out of Znob's hand, but slammed to a stop when it got to one of the streams. "'I don't think so,' Znob said as he jerked the stunned ghost back into his control. "'You're coming with me.' With that, he opened the box and jammed the head of the club into it, grabbing the knife with his other hand. He dipped the blade into one of the streams and slid it along the side of the stick, dragging the struggling ghost down. When he had it in the box, he pulled the stick out and slammed the lid shut. "'And stay there!' he said. "'You got him!' Tabalin cried, dropping the pole she had been holding to help Qual steady himself as he pasted the patch into the ceiling. "'You got him!' "'Not for long,' Snob said. "'I never was any good at spirit containments. That's why I always outsource. But it should be enough to get us some answers.' Snob placed the box on the ground and hit it with the stick. "'Can you hear me, ghost? We're gonna help you, so listen up!' The box bounced and rattled violently, then was still. Qual, who had climbed or tumbled down from his perch, poked it with a wrench, and the tool flew out of his hand, narrowly missing Rose's head. "'Why don't you let me handle this one?' Znob said calmly, as the boy jumped back and fell in the water. "'Yes, sir. Sorry, sir.' Znob picked up some small stones and laid them in front of the box. One shot up in the air, but Znob hit the box again, and the rest stayed put. "'Okay,' he said. 
You know where the stones are. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions, and if the answer is yes, you're going to move one of the stones. Understood? Nothing happened. Snob glared at the box and raised his stick. I said, understood? Grudgingly, the smallest stone rolled a few inches. Snob nodded. Good. First question. Are you a ghost? A stone moved, and the box rattled in a way that seemed to say, Duh. Snob ignored it and went on. Are you haunting this place for reasons having to do with your death? Several stones moved, emphatically. Were you murdered? A stone shot across the room and pinged off the far wall. Were you killed by your wife? Nothing. Were you killed by a friend? More nothing. An enemy? The stones sat as if they were glued to the floor. Do you know who killed you? The box made a little hop and rattled, like a square, inflexible object trying to shrug. Great. Okay, let's at least get to who you are. Is your name... Um... Snob paused and twisted his face. Hey, who is the guy with the other guy's wife? Jusha, I think? Quile said. Yeah, right. Jusha, is that your name? No movement. Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, how about the other guy with the spear? What about him? Qual started to answer when there was a grinding sound, and a noise like alpacas hooked up to a pulley, and the doors began to rise. As Snob glanced up, the box split open, and the ghost rushed out, whipping around the room and blowing sand into everyone's eyes before vanishing. The guards, who had burst into the room, stayed to sweep up, under Rose's supervision, while Snob, Qual, and Tabalin retired to the storage room Snob was using as an office. "'What do we do now?' Qual asked. I still want to find out more about these guys who died. We aren't going to get anywhere with this ghost until we know more about him. I don't think we're going to get our hands on him again, so I guess we'll have to do it the hard way, Snob said. Tabalin looked up from brushing the sand out of her hair. That was the easy way? Snob found the temple manager at the city side exit, supervising the cleaning of the output pit, where the bodies from the temple's drop traps collected. Got a minute? said Snob. Of course. How is the work going? Fine. We should have you up and killing again soon. Actually, I was hoping you could tell me a bit about a couple of deaths you've had here recently. There was a guy who caught a spear, and another one who fell off the temple. Know anything about them? Of course. I knew them both. Small city, you know. The spear, that was Tanay Lalim. Nice boy, not that bright, but full of ideas. Most of them weren't very good, but that never stopped him. Personally, I don't think he was murdered. You don't think a man with a spear stuck through him was murdered? Nobody would have wanted to bother. He was probably working on some kind of spear-tossing machine that went wrong. That would be just like Tnei And the other guy? The one who was crushed? Nacht? That was too bad. But it's not the first time that's happened. It gets pretty slippery out here, especially when it rains. He indicated the nearby workers, and Snob saw that they all had thick leather gloves and sandals they wore whenever they had to deal with the scalding exterior of the building. "'Shame about him, really,' Afnot went on. "'Bright fellow. Excellent worker. Might have done something with his life if he'd had better balance. First day on the job up there, and I guess he just couldn't handle it.' "'Shame,' Snob agreed. "'What sort of work was he doing, exactly?' "'Masonry, now.' Came up through the Gilders Guild, but switched over to Stone a few years ago. 
Excellent technique. He was particularly good with corners. Is that so? Snob stepped to the exit and shielded his eyes. The sun was setting, and in its low, slanting light the golden city glowed. But the heat of the day remained in every metal surface, and there was no such thing as shade. Why? he asked. Why build a city out of gold? Well, it's very pretty. And you know, it never tarnishes. I hear those guys with a city of silver are constantly polishing. So what, your people just had a bunch of gold lying around and thought, Hey, let's cover the city with this stuff? Snob asked, running a finger over a corner where the plating had worn thin. Well, sure. Why not? The temple manager wiped a bead of sweat off his nose. They may have overlooked a few pertinent aspects, he admitted, but you get used to it. Snob stepped out and peered up at the building. I'm going to need to get up on the roof with a few of my people. Is that going to be a problem for you? No, not at all. Why, is there a trap up there? Not yet. The outside of the temple was a steeply angled wall of giant stone blocks, stacked like steps up the side of the mountain. Tabalan and Qual came out on one near the top and stood as far back from the edge as possible. It was night, and the city gleamed beneath them in the moonlight. So what now? Tabalan asked. I don't know. Znob just said to look around and report back. Okay, but I don't... Well, that's interesting. Tabalan was running her fingers over the block behind them with a thoughtful expression. What is it? The gold here looks awfully thin. Almost like... Tabalan scraped a bit with her fingernail and it flaked off. She rubbed the flakes between her fingers. I thought so. It's just gold dust mixed with ordinary paint. That's different. Everything else is covered in gold plate. I wonder if maybe they're not quite as rich as they'd like to let on around here. What do you mean? I mean, they plated the stuff people could see up close and just painted the rest. Not a bad plan, really. It would have been a lot of work to get all that gold all the way up here where nobody was going to see it. Same effect for a fraction of the cost. How do you know all this? It's my job. You do traps. I do money. At that moment, they were interrupted by a spear flying by and striking the wall next to them. Qual jumped and almost fell off the ledge, and Tabalin flattened herself against a decorative alcove. Another spear followed, this one soaring off over their heads and into the night, and then it was quiet again. Qual, who had fallen to his stomach, inched forward and peered over the edge. "'I don't see anyone,' he said. "'What's going on here?' "'Someone's trying to kill us, you idiot! Get back from there!' Qual had just slid away from the edge when a twanging sound came from somewhere in the darkness, and a piece of metal struck him in the shoulder. Tabalin grabbed him by the ankle and dragged him back into the doorway. "'What is this?' she hissed when they were both safely under cover. "'Looks like a gear wheel. Badly made, though.' Qual held up the thing that had struck him. Look, you can see where it's split. We're being attacked and you're engineering? Well, it might be important. What's important is that we're trapped and someone is trying to kill us. Maybe you could try and engineer us a way out of here? Qual looked at the blank wall behind them and the ledge in front of them. That could be challenging. In the silence that followed, they heard a sound like someone tugging in frustration on a line attached to a non-functioning spear thrower then some mild cursing, then silence again. "'Do you think he's going away?' Qual asked. "'No, I think he's coming. Damn! Should have brought my machete!' 
Sure enough, there was a scrambling sound of someone climbing up the side of the temple, and then advancing footsteps. Tabalin squeezed herself back against the wall, and Qual tightened his grip on the broken gear. They were both perfectly aware that neither choice had any hope of saving them, but they were short on options. Each was privately reviewing his or her chances of safely making it down the side of the temple. Shared conclusion, not good, when the air to Qual's left dropped in temperature. Oh, great, whispered Tabalin, and Qual fished in his pocket for his grandmother's mousehead charm. Smelly, but effective. But the ghost showed no interest in the pair. It just hung there, waiting with them as the footsteps drew closer. What happened next was later the subject of some debate. Tabalin insisted that the ghost vanished first, then the man came into view, and then the catapult released beneath him, sending him flying off the building, while Quall insisted that it was more like man-ghost-catapult. Either way, they agreed that the crunchy thump of the body hitting the ground definitely came last. When they made it down to the grounds in front of the temple, they found Snob there, examining the remains. Damn, he said. Missed the net. Looks like I was off by about four feet. Afnot peered at the body, gently poking it with his stick. And you think this man killed Macht? That's my best guess. The temple manager advanced his prodding to the approximate region of the head and turned something shiny over with the end of his stick. Looks like he was a mason, he said. He's wearing their badge. Makes sense. Snob glanced at Qual and Tabalin. Find anything up there? You mean besides this guy trying to kill us? Tabalin snapped. The gold plating was missing, Qual added, more helpfully. It was just painted. Is that what you mean? Something like that. Did you know? Znob asked Afnot, whose expression said he did not. No, what? Missing? How? Someone may have taken it, Qual offered. Offhand, I guess it was this guy, Znob said. Probably had some buddies in on it. Would have had to, in fact. You might want to figure out who they were. He shook his head. You've got to watch out for those masons, always getting up to stuff. They were embezzling the building? Tabalin said. That's a new one. Znob shrugged. Way I figure it, when they found out the new guy used to be in gilding, they decided to get rid of him before he caught on to what they were doing. The gilders and the masons never have gotten along very well, Afnot admitted. A lot of disagreement over who should get the credit for the appearance of the city, you know. Is that how you knew who the ghost was? Tabalin asked. Because he was a gilder? That and it was the only thing that made sense with sticking around the temple. Besides, whoever was reworking my traps knew a thing or two about building techniques. And he seemed like the one who fit best. Who knows, maybe the other guy really was killed by his own spear-throwing machine. Qual glanced at Tabalin. I'd say that's not entirely improbable, sir. Three weeks later, all of the traps had been reassembled and reset without any further incident. At first, the work was somewhat impeded by the constant stream of dignitaries and investigators making their way to and from the roof to confirm that, yes, the gold really wasn't there, but an explanation of schedule difficulties, as illustrated by a giant curved blade, went a long way towards correcting that. Znob was just putting the finishing touches on the sand room when the temple corridors rang with the familiar sound of horrified screaming. "'Damn,' he said. He found Qual and Roe at the site of the accident, examining the still-twitching body pinned under a giant spike-covered ball. "'Looks like we have a problem, sir,' Qual said. "'This trap didn't hit clean. I think the release may be catching.' 
I didn't know we were testing in here today, said Snob. Will crossed his arms. We weren't. We only armed this one this morning. But the safety was on. I don't know how this guy managed to set it off. The body gave one last jerking flop and was still. Snob leaned down to examine the victim's face. Hey, Qual said, isn't that that guy? Snob nodded. Off not. The temple manager. I did wonder about that part. What part? The part where they managed to get all that gold out of here without anyone noticing, and without hitting any traps. Seemed like they might have needed some help with that. Snob stood up and tested the spikes to see if any had come loose. Guess the ghost must have had the same idea. Huh, Rose said. I thought the ghost was supposed to be gone. He should be, said Qual. Unless... Unless what? Snob asked. Unless he isn't a poltergeist anymore. It could be that knowing why he was killed turned him into some kind of avenging spirit, and now he's going to stalk the temple for all eternity, seeking justice. Or something like that. Is he going to mess with my traps? Probably not. He might keep setting them off, though. Snob grunted. Well, that's what they're for, isn't it? Okay, people, let's wrap this up and get going. But what about the ghost? Qual asked. Special addition to the traps. Snob had an idea. We'll call it a feature. What does that mean? It means it's their problem. Now let's get out of here. And that was our story. You know, I think if these guys had been involved in the design stage, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull might have come much closer to being entertaining. Hey, listen, I want to talk for a minute about the inside of the Sausage Works. There's been a fair amount of talk on the forums lately about the hosting changes at Escape Pod, and Wither Steve, and voices raised for and against Norm Sherman. I'm kind of torn on commenting on it at all, since I feel like my opinion shouldn't automatically carry more weight than yours or anyone else's. But at the same time, we don't want to give the impression that nobody's listening. First of all, I'm not disappearing. I am scaling back, that's obvious, and there are reasons on my end why that's a good thing. But if I wanted to stop, I'd just stop, and I wouldn't be saying this right now. As far as Norm goes, I like his intros. I think he's great. I laughed out loud at the substitute teacher bit, although if there are any naked photos of me online, I have no official comment. And if you go searching for them, don't tell me. Any change in personalities in a show or a publication is going to have some transition, some adjustment. The reason we asked Norm to fill this role is because he has personality. I decided consciously I'd much prefer someone who brings a different style than to risk our presentation having no style. Framing matters. And yet, you can love Norm or hate him. I can't tell you you should feel any differently than you do. But in the big picture, we're all here for the stories. Certainly, I'm here for the stories. And no matter who's talking at you, in the front or back, a good story is what we really care about bringing you. So, we'll bring it to you on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. You can share our work all you want, just don't sell it, change it, or eviscerate someone with it at the wrong moment. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you can, we hope you'll consider donating via the PayPal link on our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our sister podcasts, Podcastle for Fabulous Fantasy and Pseudopod for Disturbing Horror, some but not all of which is about Marilyn Monroe. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju. 
You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from the 17th century Church of England minister Jeremy Taylor, who said, He that is proud of riches is a fool, for if he is exalted above his neighbors because he has more gold, how much inferior is he to a gold mine? We'll see you next week. Until then, have fun. <laughs>